are, um, we're asking a question over the last few weeks. What matters most to you? And it's not just me asking you the question, but you should be asking the question of yourself. What matters most to me? We've talked about biblical values, biblical principles from the word of God. We've talked about what Jesus has shared with us about values, about integrity, about character, about internal navigation. Amen. And how many know that the word of God is our arrow and it's an arrow that points straight to where we need to go. Amen. Have your Bible, your device this morning. Please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read again our foundation scripture for this series. Jesus gives us a parable here of two kinds of builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Come on, somebody, and what? And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built this house on a what? A rock. Come on, talk to me this morning. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew. Come on. And beat against that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the what? It was founded on the rock. Move to the next slide. It was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not what? Do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, just like it did on the other man's house. Come on. And the floods came, just like they did for the other man. Come on. And the winds blew and beat on that house, just like they did for the other builder. But a difference here. It fell. And not only did it fall, but what? Great was that fall. Jesus warns us here. Not only is he telling us that we are builders and we're building a life, that's the metaphor, but he's telling us that we need to build on the rock because he warns us if we don't, not only will our life, come on now, he's given a metaphor here about the house, that's our life. Not only will our life fall, but what? Great will be the fall. Great will be the fall. Here's what we're talking about when we're talking about what matters most. Here's my definition for that, for this series. It means simply this, finding and choosing what kind of proven values. Talk to me, what kind of values? What kind of values? Biblical proven values upon which I can build my life knowing that my life will have purpose, significance, and legacy. We want to build a life 
that we can be proud of. We want to build a life of purpose. We want to build a life, come on, that is satisfying. Otherwise, why are we here? And so Jesus tells us in building those li- that life and those lives, uh, you're going to have to build them on some value. Now, many of us have personal core values, values that you set for your own life. I don't know if you know them. I don't know if you've set some core values for your life. I don't know if I were to ask you right now, what are your personal core values if you would be able to recite them? I don't know if you've thought about that. I don't know if you've thought, what will I not compromise in my life? What do I live by? How do I walk? What is the catalyst for me doing what I do and saying what I say every day? Personal core values. And then there are some governing values that you don't choose. There are governing values, you must understand, saints, are given to you. These are values that you didn't wake up one day and choose. You just find yourself living by certain values. Sometimes they come by experience. They come by teaching what your parents have put in you. And what I believe the Lord wants to get across to us today is he has governing core values that he wants to overshadow any other values in your life. These are values that govern you. Come on. These are the values that you would not compromise for. But they're so deep down inside you that you don't even think about it. These are values you don't have to go home and write on a piece of paper. Here are my four values. They're just in you. You are who you are because of these governing values. Here's values defined. Values are simply this, critically important. Now I'm talking from a biblical perspective. I'm talking from a scriptural perspective. I'm not talking to you about what Nietzsche might say or what Buddha might say and uh, all of those. I'm talking from what I know to be true. And I believe you do as well. Biblical core beliefs that drive our life and remain consistent in any circumstance. Somebody say, any circumstance. It doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what who says. But these values are the values that drive me. Come on. Now, in this story, we see the story of two men. Both of them built. Both of them built their house. How that relates to us is both of them built their life on something, on some personal core values and on some governing values. One value was the rock. The other's value was the sand. They both heard what Jesus had to say, but they didn't both do. Come on. And for us, it's not about hearing. It's about what? Doing what he has to say. The only way that we're able to do what he's saying is to be able to understand what he's saying. And the only way we're able to understand and know what he's saying is to read his word. He's left it for us. And so that's why this morning I just want to talk to you a little bit more about the superior value of God's word. God's word has a superior value above any other sayings, any other 
cliches, any other mottos that you might live your life by. His word is our governing values. Come on. Now we talked about four absolutes concerning scripture last time. We talked about how the scriptures are inspired. Come on. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and reproof. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. We talked about how the scriptures are inerrant. That means there can be no, there is not an error in the scripture. Come on. Because they are God-breathed, there cannot be an error in these scriptures. We talked about how the scriptures are absolutely infallible. Come on. They are inspired, they are inerrant, and they are infallible. That's a little stronger than inerrant, and that means that there cannot possibly be any error in them. Yeah, you can move forward. You can move forward with the slide. And then fourthly, the scriptures are totally and 100% unique. That means there's none like them. The scriptures are the one and only single soul different from all others having no like or no equal. One and only. There's nothing like the scriptures. There's no cute sayings. There's no meditation up on a hill where somebody comes back with an epiphany that is greater than the scriptures given us by God himself. They are unique in every way. Remember, we talked about there's over 40 authors. Some of them were scholars. Most were not. Most were like Peter, unlearned people. Come on. Yet it's consistent all the way through over 1,500 years. Kings and peasants writing what God gave them. The scripture is inspired. Now that word inspiration, it's from a Greek word that literally means God breathed. That's what the word means. And we translated it inspired. Now I want to take you back for a moment. Do you remember Adam? First man God created. Remember that name? Adam. God formed him and he shaped him and he molded him. But then he looked in Genesis chapter 2 and said there is no breath. There's no life in his body. And so what did God do? He breathed into man and he became a living, breathing soul. You could say that Adam was inspired. In fact, you could say that you are inspired. You are a living, breathing soul because God breathed into you. You're walking around because you are inspired of God. Now if we look forward to what Paul is telling Timothy here, he's saying that those authors that pinned my word down, they were what? Inspired. 
And so this word of God is not just a history book, but just like Adam and Eve and you and I, it is living and it is breathing because it is, it is inspired. That's the difference. When someone asks you, what is the difference? It's just a book. How do you know that the writings of this person or the writings of this person are not just as good as the writings of the Holy Spirit? Come on. You can tell them because this word is what? It's inspired. It's God breathed. That's why we follow this word. The letter of the law kills but the spirit, the, the pneuma, the breath of God gives life. So in case you've fallen off a little bit, maybe you've been like I've been in the past and you don't read your word that often. Maybe it doesn't mean as much to you. Or maybe you're just real busy in life. I hope that the Lord today is able to inspire you to read his word a little more, to understand that this is living and breathing and it brings change and it brings deliverance and it brings healing. Come on. It is inspiration to us. Paul was talking to the church at Thessalonica and he told him in chapter 1, verse 2, he said, actually, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God, the word of truth, which is also effectively works in you who believe. Another version said, he said, we also thank God that when you heard the word of God from us, you believed it. When you heard the word, you believed it. You did not receive it as from men, but you received it as the word of God. That's what it is. It is at work in the lives of those who believe. The word of God is at work in you. Come on. Another version says, when you got the message of God that we preached, you didn't pass it off as just one more human opinion. We cannot pass this thing off as another human opinion. Come on. But you took it to heart as God's true word to you, which it is. God himself at work in you, believers. God himself at work in you. Think about it for a moment. When you're able to read the word of God, when you're able to digest it, when you're able to get it down in your spirit until now this becomes your governing value in life, this becomes, come on, your navigation. When you're able to do that, God's word is now working in you. I'm talking about something that's from another time, something that's in eternity is manifest in your spirit and it's now working in you. You want to know where miracles come from? 
not from some far off place where God is secretly in some room with a potion ready to give a miracle. The miracle is in you because the miracle is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not here nor there. It's not meat nor drink, but it's in what? It's in you. It's in me. That's where the miracles are. That's why we need the word of God deep down in us because it works. It works. But here's where we get tripped up. Because the word of God works simply because it's God's word, first of all. But the word of God works because there are some absolutes in it. Yeah. That's where people get tripped up. The word of God works because there's some absolutes. It's not one day this or one day that. Come on. Last week it was kind of this, but next week it's a little different. No. The word of God just works. When you tithe, he said, test me and prove me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven. Come on. Deuteronomy 28 still works. Come on. Chronicles still works. If my people which are called by my name, would humble themselves, seek my face, and what? Pray. Then, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, from the spirit realm, not from a far off place, but from the spirit realm. Come on. I will hear from the spirit where I am, and I will heal their lands. It still works. The word of God is still true, and it's still good. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And guess what Jesus is? He is the living, breathing word of God. Bible says in Revelations, he'll come back on a white horse, and on his thigh will be written what? Word of God. He is the word of God. He is the Logos. And he still works. Why would we want to follow culture? Why would we want to read so many other books and try so many other things when the word of God right in front of us still works? Come on. We must value the word of God when we talk about values. It must be a value to us. It, not, it must not be a book sitting on our coffee table or on our bookshelf. Come on. It must not be an ornament. It must not be something uh, that's a talk piece when people come over. It must not be something that we read in times and years past that we recall a few scriptures that we memorize and we can talk about because it's ever working. Come on. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Reading his word on a daily basis with new revelation. God is endless. Who can know him? You've not got there. You don't understand all of God. There's more to know. There's more of you to know. Come on. We must value this word. Turn to Psalms 119 for me. Verse 89. Psalms 119. 89. This scripture, this word, this Jesus is something that we must value. It must be a governing value in our life or all the other things that we're trying to accomplish in life are worthless. 
Because listen, how many know we're building something? But unless God builds the house, come on somebody. They that labor, they that build it, build it in vain. God must build it. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word, it's settled. Do you know what that means? Inerrant, infallible, inspired, unchangeable. It's settled in heaven, not on earth. It is settled in eternity, forever. It's settled. And then down in verse 97, oh, how I love your law. That's what we must get to. People are afraid of the absolutes because they want to do what they want to do. They feel like somebody's uh, got a, a tie on them. They just can't get out. They're restricted. Guess what? You're restricted for your own good. Come on. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Peter put it this way. He said, as newborn babies, we must desire the pure milk of the word. Lord, if I could just get a taste of your word, I could grow thereby. If I could just get a revelation of your word, I would grow by it. Do you value God's word as a one-of-a-kind, authoritative guidebook? for life, this is it, this is the way to go? Or is it a take it or leave it book for you? I remember years ago coming into a job and it was, it was new to me and I, I didn't know how to do this particular kind of work and uh, I came in and they train you so I had a trainer, I was assigned to a trainer and that person was showing me different ways to do things and they, they showed me how to do this and they showed me how to do that and I took notes and I wrote it down and then uh, I be, when I began, when I got released and I began to do my work, I, I went to my notes and I began to follow what they told me and that's the way I did things. And I remember about 10 years later after, of doing that job, I was talking to someone else and they were saying, well, why do you do it like that? Here's, here's another way to do it and get, it, get accomplished the same thing. I said, well, is it a better way? And they said, well, no, it's just different. I said, well, is it faster? And they said, no, it's just the way I do it. That's the way I do it. And I said, well, this is the way I've learned and I do it this way because I learned this way. It's ingrained in me. I haven't changed from that because that's what's in me to do. Not only did I learn that way, but it's now in my heart. It's ingrained in me to do. Thinking about the word of God in this manner, we need to become people where we read his word. And I used to say, I used to put it this way. I used to say, I know people are busy because I'm a busy person. And I understand that you might not be able to read the Bible every day. Uh, and uh, so maybe some days you just read, uh, you know, just a verse of Psalms or something like that. And uh, but as long as you get back to it at some point and uh, maybe three times a week, if you could at least do that, you're OK. But God is really chasing me, at least personally in my life, uh, that no, I'm not worth uh, three times a week uh, to you. Come on. I know it sounds a little harsh to some. See, that's why I didn't want to say it, because it sounds like it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? 
But God said, no, it's not that I'm, I'm worth three times a week to you. I'm, I'm not worth four times a week to you. Because remember, you were a blob. You were, you were but a blob, just an unformed embryo with a tail. Come on, didn't even know that. You're just a blob, just sitting there, looking, until I <laughs> breathe life into you. And so for not for my breath, if not for my inspiration, come on, your heart wouldn't be ticking right now. Come on. Uh, your mind wouldn't be thinking. Come on. And how many know we need our right mind? Come on. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do the things that you do. You wouldn't be able to think. You wouldn't be able to use your hands. Nothing. Come on. And so I think I'm worth a little bit more than three, four times a week. Air day. Every day we need to look into the word of God. Well, I just don't have time. I mean, I'm up, I'm running, uh, I'm doing this, the kids, I got this person, I got an appointment, and I got all of these things to do. Yeah, and every last one of them, come on, are not as great as the word of God. None of them are. That needs to be first. It needs to be foremost, the word of God. We need to value it. Do you value the word of God as a one-of-a-kind authoritative guidebook for life? Or is it a take-it-or-leave-it book? Why do we value the word of God? I'm just going to leave you with a few things. Just seven points. Come on. Just seven. Number one, I value the absolute of God's word, what we've been talking about. Absolutes in every area. I mean, love, life, sex, marriage, immoral acts, friendships, whatever. In all of those areas of your life, you must value the absolutes because there's a way that relationships ought to be done. Come on. And yes, there is a way when we think about relationships that seems right unto man. But the end thereof. Come on. It's the word of God. Listen, I know it ain't, it's not politically correct. I understand it. But listen, I got to go by Romans chapter 1. That's all I can do. I mean, I don't know what the world wants to do. I don't know, I don't know about all that. I, all I can do is go by Romans chapter 1 and just be a biblican. Come on. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. Oh, if you value the word of God, you'll understand that. You can't make it fit what you think things should be. Come on. In terms of relationships, there's a way that seems right to man. But it ain't right. Because God said it ain't. To use my very best Indiana University English. Come on. It's not right. I know IU teaches better than that, Andy. I know. That's all he, somebody said that's Ohio State English. That's all right. And number two. And number two. That's all right. But there's absolutes. And there's relativism. Absolutes is this way. It's black or white. No 50 shades of gray. Just black or white. You did it or you didn't. It's right or it's wrong. It's good or it's bad. It's up or it's down. Not Nothing in the middle. You're cold or you're hot. But when you're into relativism, come on. Well, it depends on the day. Depends on how you say it. Depends on if you really love that person or not. I mean, we intend on getting married, 
So it's okay to do what we're doing because our intention is to get married. Sound kind of harsh, I know. But God said, no, it's not right. Fornication is fornication. I'm just going to tell it to you like that. That's just what it is. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what God's word says. Come on. It's what he says. Adultery is adultery. Come on, lying is lying. I know. I know we're on Front Street this morning. And I thank the Lord for grace. Thank the Lord for grace. I tell you what, if it was not for your grace, where would I be? Come on. Where would I be? Oh, but the doctrine of knowledge, the doctrine of truth and morality, it exists in relation to culture, society, historical context. All of those things make up our doctrine of knowledge. And I'll tell you something about knowledge. God put knowledge in the middle of the garden way long time ago. But this is what he told Adam and Eve. This is really what he was saying. Not that I can interpret for God, but I just want to tell you my interpretation of it. He was saying, listen, there's knowledge here, but the knowledge you need is to listen to me. I'll tell you what to do, and you do that. Very simple. I'll tell you, you do it. I know you want your own knowledge. You want to know how to, why it's that way and how to do it. But listen, if you want to know all that, come to me. Have a relationship with me. I'll tell you what to do, and you'll do it. So man said, that's good, God. All right, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Let me just see what this knowledge says over here. And God said, well, you're cut off. <laughs> All we need to do is trust God. But we have to know for ourselves. We have to make it up for ourselves. Come on. Secondly, I value the true Jesus in the scripture. What does that mean? How many know that we've made up our own Jesus sometimes? Come on. Oh, people have made up their own Jesus. Oh, they believe that he died on the cross. But did he really say that? Or did it really mean this? Come on. If there was anybody that was absolute, it was Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 7 said, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. That's absolute. That's absolute. Remember in Matthew 16 when he asked the disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Simon Peter said what? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Son of the living God. Wasn't given to you, Simon Peter. Wasn't taught, but it was given to you by my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, Jesus said. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one whom the Son wills to reveal it to him. This is the Jesus of Scripture we're talking about. He has to be known by revelation. Come on. Matthew 14, 33. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What do we believe? Who do we believe Jesus is? Who do we believe that he is? And most of us would say, oh, he's the son of God. I worship you, Jesus. And then he would say, why don't you do what I say then? John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am. Before he was, I am. That's a bold statement to me. Then they took up stones to throw at him, partly because they didn't understand who he was. Do you know why Jesus said that I am the bread of life? Yes, it was because he sustains us. It's true. But do you remember in the Old Testament when the Israelites left Egypt and they needed to be sustained and God gave them a bread every morning, a fresh new bread, and they didn't know what it was. They called it manna. Manna translated literally means what is it? We don't know what it is. Jesus is the bread of life. And when they looked at him, manna, what is it? Who is he? Has Jesus revealed himself to you? Have you sought him to understand who the true Jesus is? The Jesus of the scripture. That's who we have to value. The Jesus of the scripture. John 17, 5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's always been here. That's the Jesus of the scripture. That's who we need to value. Number three, we need to value the power in the scriptures to convert my soul. Come on. Now, there's a lot I could say. I don't really have time to go into all of it. There's a lot, actually, that there is to be said about this because some don't believe it. Some believe they have to do something to be converted. Some believe they can gain it and some believe they can lose it. Psalm 119.7 says, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. You are able to convert my soul. He's well able to do it. If we will allow him to come in there's power in this word of God to convert you, change you. We'll be talking about next week, transform you. Come on. I value the clear directions on living a life that works. I value the clear direction in scripture. I'm not going to, here's, here's what I mean by that. People will look at scripture, they'll read it and say, well, that's a good sort of guide. You know, I'll keep it in mind. Never read scripture and say, I'll keep it in mind. In other words, you're saying, I'm going to make my own decision, but I'll keep that scripture in mind when I'm doing this. No, the scripture has to be in you, has to go before you, and it has to be you. <laughs> Come on. That has to be what you do. It's a governing value. I don't know if we understand that or not. But it's clear, I value it. I value the clear direction of Scripture. And if you truly value it, you would be following it. You would be living it. Come on. 2 Peter 1.3, as his divine has given to us all things that pertain to life. All things, all, all, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His word gives us all things. I value the clear direction. Come on. Number five, I value the scriptures because by them I can defeat the devil. I value the scriptures because by them I have victory. 
You want victory. You want deliverance. You want to be able to overcome. You want to prosper. Come on. You want healing. Value the victory in the scriptures. See what God has to say about it. What about healing? What about speaking in tongues? What about this? What about that? See what God has to say about it. There's a lot of people on TV talking about it. I understand it. But if they're not pointing you back to scriptures, they're in error. Come on. Including this pulpit. Point you back to scripture. You go to God. 1 John 2.14. He says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I would think that if you want to know how something works, you would go to the one who's been here from the start. Come on. If I want to know how something works, and Sister Dietrich was there, and she started the thing, somebody else came along five years later, and they're trying to tell me how it works. If she's available, I think I might go to her to check it out. She was there at the beginning. Come on. I would think you would go to the one who's been there from the beginning. Whoo, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Come on. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every single word that comes out of his mouth. Come on. Number six, I value the scriptures because they fill me with true hope. Where are you going to get hope from? I mean, people, as nice as they are and, and with as good of intentions as they have, we let each other down. And the reason is because we can't do everything. That's why you can't commit to everything. Come on. There's times when you got to say no. I'm learning that myself still. Can't do everything. Can't solve every problem. In this flesh, in the flesh, we are limited. Because with man, it is impossible. Oh, but with the spirit in us, with the kingdom of God in us, with God, all things are possible. And there is hope in scripture. Come on. Romans 16, 4, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also to all the churches of the Gentiles. There is hope. Paul was saying here that there is hope. There is hope. When you are so lost, so hurt, done with life, totally discouraged and losing all hope, it is the word of God that has breath to give your life hope and to revive you. Not in drugs, alcohol, come on. But it's in the things of the scripture. And lastly, I value the salvation presented through the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. For the Son of Man comes to seek and save that which was lost. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack 
concerning his promises. As some count slackness, but it is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Come on. But all should what? Come to repentance. The thing about it is, Jesus said, I don't want any to perish. Now, some people have taken that to say, well, everybody's going to be saved. Every, he just said it. He said, I don't want anybody to perish. So that just means everybody's going to heaven. Isn't that what that means? Well, I just read the scripture. And the scripture, you're right, absolutely did not say that. The scripture said, I would that none perish, but I want all to come to repentance. Means you have to come to repentance. Come on. If we're going to value the word of God, we've got to value all of the word of God. All or nothing. Not this or not that. Come on. How many are going to value the scriptures and the word of God?